Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics, which are going to educate and empower others. And give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back, listeners. Hi, everyone. We are... Solo episode for you. I don't know. I yes. caffeine hit me. Sorry. <laughs> this is like I would say a deviation or a tangent from our eligibility series. And I only say <clears throat> that because we've been talking about eligibility and we've been talking about how eligibility doesn't necessarily equal disability. And what we're mm-hmm. gonna talk about today kind of leans into that discussion. All things manifestation determination. What is it? What are schools supposed to do? We've talked about it before, but we're going to go into more of the technical, like what are the actual legal requirements? What should your school do if you're dealing with disciplinary action? And so I think we just kind of want to get right into what the law says, right? Yeah. Okay. So typically if your child is, has a disability, has an IEP and they are either having behaviors or there's incidents where the school believes your child has violated their district's code of conduct. Mm -hmm. And the law specifically talks about the district's code of conduct. So you'd have to look at your district. What is the Mm -hmm. code of conduct to see Mm -hmm. like what they could like violate, whatever. Yep. If you get to the point where the student has violated the code of conduct that has resulted in 10 suspensions or 10 days of suspensions, it triggers the absolute necessary requirement for a manifestation determination meeting. Essentially, what the school needs to do at this point is determine, are the behaviors that led to the discipline are a manifestation of the child's disability or not? And they have to answer that question first to determine Mm -hmm. what happens next. Mm -hmm. Can the child be disciplined the same way that a typical peer can be, i.e., expulsion, change of placement, change of schools, whatever it may be, or must the school go back to the child's IEP, keep the student in their current placement, and what the law says, do an FBA to determine how we're going to handle the behaviors. So that's kind of it in a nutshell, right? One of the reasons we wanted to bring this up today is because we are seeing a slew of instances where school districts are either not doing manifestation determinations and Mm -hmm. automatically going to expulsions Mm -hmm. or like expulsion hearings, or they're doing a manifestation determination meeting, but they're doing it incorrectly. And specifically what I have seen a lot is in this decision of, is it a manifestation or not? That's where I'm seeing the biggest error um, relating to like the eligibility. And we'll get into that in a minute, but you know, just as a starter, like if your child has a disability, this is something that should be applied. And realistically, like the team should be communicating, the IEP team should be communicating with the family throughout this entire process, throughout any suspensions. Yeah. And I think it's important to understand it. It is an IEP meeting. It is called a manifestation determination meeting, but it, it is an IEP meeting. Yeah. Um, it does not have the same, you know, 30 day time, you know, timeline. If I'm a parent and I request an IEP, they have to have it within 30 days. You know, it should be held within California within 10 school days of the school's decision also to to either um, expel the student or 
change their placement. And I think that a lot of people get caught up on the like expulsion part of it. Um, But it really is a a change of placement as well, right? Um, Especially if they're trying to do it like very quickly. So I just wanted to uh, like point that out because yes, it is a different name, but really at the end of the day, it is an IEP meeting. Yeah, and you might have members of a school or district team that are part of this meeting that aren't normally part of your IEP meetings. Mm. Um, So for instance, if your child doesn't have behavioral services in their IEP already, the school team really should be including a BCBA or a behavior specialist in to really be talking about this. Now, we talk a lot about, we have, I think we've had in the past about whether or not an assessment should be done prior Mm. to this meeting. Mm. And so there's no like clear hard line rule that an assessment has to be done. However, when you look at what the IDEA says about manifestation determinations and considering all factors, the reality is, is if you are a team member and you are really going to evaluate all factors and all circumstances, Mm -hmm. you can't just do it by inviting people to a meeting without actually looking at what's been going on. And so one of the things I often see missed with this is members of the team of this meeting aren't always involved before, like they're not regular parts of the IEP meeting and they're not reviewing past assessments. They're not reviewing past IEPs. Mm -hmm. They're not having Mm -hmm. conversations with the family. Even sometimes they're not having conversations with the student as much. They may take some interviews of like, let's say it was a peer on peer interaction. So the student got into a fight with another peer. They may interview that peer, but Reality is if you go into this meeting and you're already, you're as a district making the decision that like, we're going to decide whether or not it's a manifestation. We haven't looked at any of these documents. You're not really making a correct determination. So in looking at other principles of the IDEA and looking at individualized decisions and all of that, realistically, you should have some type of evaluation. And the ones that I've seen that have been like really helpful are not like formal psychoeducational assessments. It's really just a review of like, let me look at this child's history of their areas of need. Let me look at at all the circumstances. What I'm seeing as a trend right now is that these manifestation determination documents are being reported that like so-and-so student's behavior is not considered a manifestation Mm -hmm. Because they're looking only at the student's eligibility category. So let me give you an example. Mm -hmm. A child who has a diagnosis of autism, and it's a recent diagnosis. So student had specific learning disability and OHI, I believe, as their eligibility categories from an early age when they're in elementary school. There wasn't a necessarily a diagnosis ability other than ADHD, child is behind. So this was their eligibility for a long time. As they were getting older, they eventually got a diagnosis of autism. And throughout the history of the student's education, there were clear challenges in peer communication and pragmatics, social emotional skills. So like regulating emotions and some behaviors, not that rose to the level of needing a behavior plan quite yet, but there was a trend. There was a trend of difficulties with peers, difficulties communicating, difficulties regulating emotions, all of this, which we know are factors of symptoms 
behaviors of autism, but also can be behaviors of ADHD where they often cross over, right? So this student got into a fight with a peer on several occasions, had suspensions. The school said you violated the code of conduct because you got in a fight with this student. I won't go into too many of the details, but ultimately they said, looking at the eligibility categories of the student of OHI and SLD, these behaviors are not related because they're not related to academic performance or the ADHD. And so there's two problems with that. One, the law actually doesn't say that we're supposed to be looking at the eligibility categories. The law specifically says that we're looking at if the conduct in question was caused by or had a direct and substantial relationship to the child's disability. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so OHI is not a disability and neither is SLD. Now, specific learning disability, I know it's confusing, but these are eligibility categories. And where we talk all the time about eligibility categories are not disabilities, they are a category to enter into an IEP. This student has a, di has a diagnosis of autism, of ADHD, and the parent has suspicions of anxiety and depression, which she has shared with the school district. So if we're using what the law says and we look at are these behaviors getting into a peer conflict that gets escalated when there's a history of peer conflict and difficulties with problem solving, with communication, with emotional regulation? To me, it is a very clear cut example that it is a manifestation of student disabilities. Right now. And, mm -hmm. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, I think what's also important, you know, just as a, as a practical matter in determining, you know, the disability, right, as opposed to eligibility category is when you are preparing for attendance at a manifestation determination, you know, you can use the school's staff that agree with you, right, school documents, independent experts, right, mm -hmm. and service providers, because they are able to speak to the disability, right? School districts, when we are trying to get a diagnosis and, you know, they don't like to say dyslexia. Sometimes they don't like to say autism. You know, they say, we, we cannot do diagnoses, this and other thing, you know, we're right. looking specifically at. Totally understand that. But if the law indicates that we are looking at the disability, then you have, are entitled to have an expert in yes. that disability, whatever expert, you know, pediatrician, you know, um, psychologist, you know, whoever the child is seeing, right. you should bring that professional or their report to the meeting, right? So that they can speak to how the disability and this behavior was more likely than not related, right? right. <laughs> so you can get, so, yes. so yeah. that's, yeah. interestingly enough, that's only one way you can determine whether mm -hmm. or not a manifestation is a manifestation of the disability. There's actually two prongs here that the law allows school districts to consider to mm -hmm. determine whether or not a behavior mm -hmm. is a manifestation. Mm -hmm. And because remember, some kids have very clear diagnosed disabilities, others yes. not, right. right? Right. So in that case where students don't have necessarily a diagnosis of anxiety, depression, autism, ADHD, but there are symptoms of that, you can still find that it, the behaviors were a manifestation of the disability. And I'm going to bring up another example for this other prompt because I'm actually having this situation too. So mm -hmm. the other prompt, so it says that in order to determine if it's a manifestation, you can either do what I said, prong one, if the conduct was a question, in question was caused by or a direct result of the disability, or 
if the conduct in question was the direct result of the local educational agency's failure to implement the IEP. Now, here's a situation where that I'm another one I'm going to share with you. So student has no official diagnoses, but is eligible for an IEP based on a number of issues, I believe under just OHI, because there's been a number of issues throughout elementary school and there's been some behaviors and there's been emotional regulation issues, peer conflict, similar to my other case, but this student doesn't have any actual like diagnoses. Over the course of the last two years, this student had increase of behaviors of defiance towards school staff. So saying, I'm not going to do it. I don't care. Not doing work that has ultimately started to lead towards some, what the school district would call some aggression towards teachers, right? History of then the school bringing a BCBA involved, created doing an FBA, creating a behavior plan and a behavior goal. Student then still is being defiant. Student is still having these aggressive, what they would consider aggressive behaviors, has a conflict with a peer, gets suspended. In this case, they actually got arrested um, mm-hmm. because the school felt that the viol- violation of the code of conduct was so extreme that they needed a school resource officer to get involved. And the student ended up spending time in juvenile hall. Now, my argument would be that the district's inability to appropriately implement that behavior support plan, the behavior intervention plan, and provide enough support to help with the emotional regulation and all of the areas of need that were clear is a direct causation of these behaviors, right? But the team said this wasn't related to the OHI eligibility. And so therefore it wasn't a manifestation. And so in both of these cases where I've shared, the school district felt that they were legally allowed to proceed with disciplinary action that would be the same of any other student that doesn't have a disability, which is just not right. So this is another avenue that schools can take in determining it. And I don't think that that, that this prong is used enough or considered. In fact, in many of my reviews of these manifestation documents, this mm-hmm. prong wasn't even included as an option. Oh, consider. that's really interesting. And I mean, it really boils down to if the team answers no to both questions, which is the trend that we see, right? then the student can be referred for expulsion. So, you know, that tells us that this has to be done. And when the outcome is already decided that they want to expel the child, that pretty much drives the team answering no to both questions, right? Or that they want to change the placement to, let's say for a high school student, mm -hmm. oftentimes they're sent Mm -hmm. to the like continuation high schools Mm -hmm. or after they're expelled. Yeah. Well, you know, I've had situations where the student, they've actually said, we're not expelling you, but we are asking you to sign a behavior contract. Um, we are asking you to do X, Y, and Z, and you must change your placement to the school, but you're not officially expelled from the district. Right. And so then that's them trying to informally resolve without moving forward to an expulsion hearing. And to get there, they have to have the manifestation determination first is what you're saying so that they can make a change in placement, right? So that they don't have to have an IEP meeting to discuss an appropriate placement, right? Because in my mind, a continuation school, you know, if the parent, the parent can agree to anything, right? And so, but there are procedures in place that they are trying to bypass, which is why we felt it was important to kind of discuss the ins and outs of what the law actually says and some of the analysis, which will change from student to student and regarding, you know, special circumstances, right? Yeah. Because there are, you know, 
per the law, like the school can remove a student to an interim alternative educational setting, but not more than 45 days um, without regard to the behavior, right, that is determined in the to be manifestation of the child's disabilities. But there are specific, like, there it outlines there are only these three exceptions where they can almost you know because it's the well-being and safety you know and just very quickly you know carrying or possesses a weapon to or at school on school premises or at a school function knowingly possessing or using illegal drugs or sells or solicits the sale of controlled substance etc or three has inflicted serious bodily injury upon another person while at school on school premise or at a school function um so you know at, you know we may have been talking about all this, but there's always going to be that individualized aspect, right? So right. even though we are attorneys, we are not your attorney. And if you feel like you are in a situation where you are going to need, you know, a little bit more of an, an analysis of, um, you know, you're in crisis, because a lot of things happen when the child with an IEP, I was talking to a client and it, it's similar to when a person has a DUI, one of the first hearings that happens, I think within like 10 days, um, I was just having this discussion with the criminal law attorney, the DMV hearing, right? And like people aren't thinking about it. And then the DMV has a hearing and then they like immediately like suspend your license. And a lot of people don't even know that that hearing even happens. And it happens very quickly. Like, don't call me that it's 10 days, but it happens very quickly. And then by the time that you get an attorney, they're like, hey, what happened at the DMV hearing? And people are like, what? This is a very similar situation where we often people that had this IEP, maybe they downplayed that it was such a big IEP, right? And then they're like, hey, we're we're in this crisis situation. Like, yeah. how can you help? So that's why I well, wanted to bring often, it to your attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it often like is the school team tries to like go through the motions. And, and yes. what I've heard from families is that it's so rushed that like these decisions mm-hmm. are already made. They make it seem mm-hmm. like it's not an IEP meeting. They yes. make it seem like it's not, Um, there's not a discussion involved. It's like, this is what we've already decided and please sign here. And then even in situations where they've said, okay, we've decided it is a manifestation of disability. We're still going to proceed with like recommending a change in placement. Or in many cases, I'm going to make your child sign a behavior contract that they're just not going to engage in this behavior before, which for a child with a disability, it's one of the most inappropriate things you could like, it's so ridiculous. Like, when it is a manifestation of a disability, a behavior contract will never work because it is not something necessarily within the students to control on their own. It's something that they need tools and strategies. They need to be taught skills, you know, and half the time they're not, I think, sometimes aware, especially with our yeah. lower functioning kiddos that yep. get go through this. Like they're not aware of what's going on. Like one of my kiddos, they are painting this kid like she's a bully. And I guarantee you, she doesn't even like, that's not even think, I mean, and not to say that bullies think that they're bullies all the time, but it just the thought that like these kids are doing things just to do them and that they could just easily stop is just a lack of understanding of disability in general. And and it just, it frustrates us, of course. Absolutely. And I mean, we are pretty fired up about this, especially because we both have cases currently. And so it was at the forefront of our mind and and we really wanted to kind of get that information out to you. So if you have questions, please, please, please send us a direct message. 
on Instagram is probably where we're like spending a lot of our time. And yes. of course you can always send it to info at iepcalifornia.org. We want to answer any and all questions that you have to the best of our ability. So please send those over. Have a great rest of your day, week, evening, morning, and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.